This episode of the Multi-Orgasmic Mama is brought to you by the Sensually Embodied Women Collective. Are you ready to remove all your blocks to pleasure, turn on intimacy and connection, and feel confident and sexy in your body? Then join us in our sparkly and supportive group of other like-minded mamas and women all around the world, breaking the taboos around sex and motherhood and sex and the sacred, stepping into their authentic sensual and sexual expression and having the most mind-blowing sex of their lives. Join us at tillystorm.com forward slash sensually dash embodied dash woman. Hi, I'm Tilly Storm, a holistic sex and jaded coach and tantric sex teacher, all around pleasure and prosperity advocate. If you're ready to take your sex life to the next level with my programs and offerings, meet me over at tillystorm.com. Welcome back, Hot Mamas. It's Tilly, and today we have a repeat guest, Miss Melanie Weller. She is a medical visionary with a paradigm shifting process to access genius, health, and flow in your body and business using the vagus nerve as a portal to growth and success. Her podcast last December was one of the most downloaded episodes that we've ever had on the podcast. So I wanted to bring her back to discuss life transitions this month. As you know, we have been doing a little series on life transitions, such as healing and sex after hysterectomy or menopause, uh, sex after baby. And now we're talking about cycles of healing. And in my experience, cycles of healing have always been like the onion metaphor. Once you peel off one layer, you get to the next, and then there's an entirely new set of awarenesses and integration that gets to happen. So I brought Melanie on to discuss um, how that happens through the different cycles of our lives that we go through and the healing processes we go through. So hope you enjoy Hot Mamas and be sure to check her out at MelanieWeller.com. Her last name is spelled W-E-L-L-E-R.com. Hey, Melanie, how are you doing today? I'm great, Tilly. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thanks so much for being on. (laughs) Oh, I'm so excited to be back. (laughs) Yeah, I know one of my most downloaded episodes was with you uh, last December in 2019 on the vagus nerve and sexuality. And because it was such a popular hit, I would love to hear you talk about the vagus nerve and alignment and sexuality and how that all plays together. Uh, We've got so much in store for this conversation. I just want to start on a little recap for that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll recap that the reason I reached out to you over Instagram was after you were at a retreat with your sex coach friends. Yeah. And you talked about a technique with stimulating the roof of the mouth to achieve orgasm. Mm -hmm. And as a physical therapist, uh, my clinical expertise is in treating the vagus nerve as a pinched nerve. And I'll recap all of that in a moment. But I use a technique to correct cranial dysfunction through the roof of the mouth, specifically for the vomer bone. And it does wonders for the vagus nerve. It can shift the entire body in one fell swoop. And so when you posted about that technique, I said, oh, I know exactly why that works. (laughs) And that was just a really fun connection. And one of the happy side effects for 
some of my clients has been resolution of pelvic pain and improved sex drive and improved sexual pleasure. And so that's not where I've focused my marketing, but it's been a really fun, a fun side effect to, to have people come back and say, oh my gosh, this is so much better. Yeah. Yeah. So your vagus nerve is your 10th cranial nerve, which, so it's one of 12 nerves that comes out of your brainstem. And it goes all the way from your brainstem down into the pelvis. And women, it innervates the cervix. And I've read some things that suggest it innervates the clitoris too. And whether or not it does, it's definitely influential in an engorgement response Mm -hmm. in women. And there's research that shows that women with complete spinal cord injuries can achieve orgasm with vagus nerve stimulation. And sexual arousal in general is a parasympathetic response. And the vagus nerve is the biggest component of our parasympathetic nervous systems, which counters our fight and flight responses. So it's our rest and digest, our grace under pressure, and our pleasure. Mm-hmm. And the vagus nerve innervates our hearts. After it goes down towards our hearts, it loops back up and innervates our vocal cords. So I like to think of it as the nerve that allows us to speak our hearts. Mm. It continues down along the esophagus, goes through our diaphragms and innervates our digestive systems. Mm -hmm. Like I said earlier, in women, it goes into the cervix. I have not been able to find exactly where it goes in, where it innervates the pelvis with men. It does not appear to innervate the prostate, which I would kind of put as the corresponding structure. Mm -hmm. Right. But... We know there's a group of electrocardiologists I know right now that are mapping the vagus nerve because they know nobody really knows everything it does. And the research on the reach of the effects of it are amazing. In the research, they'll often apply electrical stimulation to the vagus nerve. And one of the things that happens with that is it reverses the mitochondrial defects that go with heart disease. So your vagus nerve isn't directly in the mitochondria that are deep in your cells, but it creates this cascade of events that reverses those mitochondrial issues that are associated with heart disease. And there's some research that suggests that it reverses insulin resistance in diabetes and it remaps your brain at the highest levels. So it's a really powerful way to transform limiting beliefs and habits that aren't serving us. And as a physical therapist, my interest in it was really peaked years and years ago because it uses the same neurotransmitter that your muscles do. And so you get these really beautiful shifts in flexibility and strength when you give the vagus nerve more room to move. And we all know that Trauma always affects our voice and our breath. Mm -hmm. And our vocal cords and diaphragms are horizontal muscles in our body. And so we have this horizontal system that responds to trauma. Nobody gets injured or traumatized or stressed and has really great arm swing when they walk. We all stop rotating. Mm -hmm. We all lock up. And we lose, as we lose flow internally, because those horizontal structures lock up, we lose flow externally. So 
the pelvic floor is horizontally through the body as well. And your vagus nerve also gets compressed at the level where your pulmonary artery and veins are horizontal in your chest and it gets compressed at the base of your skull. And so these horizontal structures traumatize your vagus nerve, these thresholds. Mm-hmm. And, it, and so when you can take the stress off the vagus nerve, it gives you a door to the shortest path to your highest potential. Yeah. So interesting. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. When you all hear me talk a lot about how trauma is in the body, but specifically the vagina and how we hold and store so much sexual, sexual trauma. And it doesn't have to mean a terrible event, but just our negative conditioning, um, often results in very tense and tight vaginas and pelvic floors and that most women uh, just need to learn how to relax this muscle and this area of their body so that they can experience greater orgasm. So one of the things that keeps us from being able to do that is by fleeing into our head all of the time. And what I hear from most of you, so many of you all the time, the number one problem I and thing that I end up having to talk about is to answer your questions about how to get out of your head and sex. And I think that Melanie has a really interesting perspective on how um, you can use her storytelling method and how this all maps in the body to kind of help release the tension and the trauma and the pelvic floor to be able to have more flow states to be able to get out of your head and experience better orgasm and more pleasure. So Melanie, I would love to hear a little bit about this and how you speak to it and how it is something that you can help out with and uh, the way that I can't even speak to because this is all so interesting and new to me. (laughs) Yeah, I love this whole storytelling piece is is really just so much more fun than all of my clinical expertise put together. <laughs> it's really or it's been the, it's it's been just such a fun place for me to uh, to really put a lot of logic to the spiritual and stress related underpinnings of our physical dysfunction. Mm-hmm. So when I talk about vagus nerve compression points your vagus nerve is also the bridge between your story and your body. So when your story is trauma, your vagus nerve gets dialed down and it's not functioning as well. You have less internal flow. We all know when our vagus nerve isn't functioning well, when we get nervous about something and we get a lump in our throats and our palms sweat and our hearts race and our digestion shifts, because those are all vagus nerve mediated functions. Mm -hmm. But if we take the head, for example, in astrology, all of the archetypes represent anatomical structures. And this works not just through Western astrology. This works for the Vedas. This works for all ancient mythology. Mythology was a mode of scientific storytelling. It was the way they communicated. So, so the ventricles in the brain that variable spinal fluid look just like the ram's horn or Aries. And in the G, Aries rules the head. And the way the highway bone in the throat the way the hyoid bone sits on top of the throat looks just like the symbol for Taurus and Taurus rules the throat. And the aortic arch is the same shape as the symbol for Leo and Leo rules the heart. And so it works this way the whole way through the body. So you can use the story one to help dig into the spiritual underpinnings of the physical dysfunction. And I've created a form of energy medicine from it as well. 
And so if we look at the head, that's where our Aries and our Taurus rub on each other. So it's where our heroics are at odds with our desires. And one of the things that I see in almost all of my female clients is they're being the hero in someone else's story. And certainly we're culturally conditioned to be the hero in our partner stories and in our children's stories. And they're satisfying everybody else's desires at the expense of their own. Mm-hmm. Or they don't even know what they desire to start with. That's a very hard question for most people to answer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, how I know about it. <laughs> <laughs> and so to look at this compression point is where your heroics and, your, you know, first I look at, we'll look at it as where your heroics and your desires are at odds with each other hmm. and where those need to come back into better alignment. The biblical story of the Temple of the Ark of the Covenant also describes cranial anatomy. The story of Athena lives in our heads. The Hindu story of Ganesh is lives on the underside of our brains and our cerebellum and brainstem. And so there are many, many stories that go with our heads. And we're, we're often in our heads. We're just too much, but we're also just not in them in the right way. And the way this shows up energetically then offers clues as to what the solution is. Like, is your temple disorganized? <laughs> you know, has your temple been ransacked and you just need to bring some back more order to that? Or is Ganesha's trunk wandering off trying to find something else instead of being in line with your brainstem and your spine? And one of the ways that that goes along with this being too much in your head is not being really grounded or not being grounded in the right way. And for all of the really beautiful representations of the first chakra at the base of their spine, of the spine, and the way that I allow people's bodies to guide me and tell me what's going on, which is how I've solved problems that no one else has been able to solve for patients for years. Everyone's body tells me they want their first chakra centered at their ankle joints. So not the perineum. Not at the perineum. I think the perineum is the tip of the triangle, but I think there's a base of the triangle that is at the ankle joints. That would make sense. (laughs) And when you look at the really beautiful pictures of the chakras with somebody in lotus position, their ankles are level with the first chakra. So it's in that plane for sure. Mm -hmm. And in the way Pisces rules the feet. And so your feet are kind of like a set of fish and your calves are ruled by Aquarius, which is represented by the water vessel. And so your calves are shaped very much like a water vessel. And the Tao Te Ching has a, a part of it that says something to the effect like the Tao lives in a vessel, that the way, the wisdom, you know, and so Aquarius is our intuition, it's our internal technology. So I'll often guide people into one being grounded in water over dirt, <laughs> because mm-hmm. since Pisces is a water sign and rules the feet, and that, that's where you pull in the nectar of life and the amrit and the fountain of youth and all of that information really comes in through water to fill up the water vessel so that you have access to your internal technology. Mm. And I actually just recently uh, helped someone ground. She was about halfway through her pregnancy and was having a whole bunch of round ligament pain in her abdomen And her first chakra was all the way up at her diaphragm. I pulled it back down to her ankles and she was 
it was amazing. <laughs> it was just, you know, like it transformed her physical range of motion. It transformed her pain. It just made everything better and in very short order. And I asked her, I, I said, was your childhood stable? And she said, no, not at all. And she had a huge story to go with that. And so her roots, she did not root very well when she was young and her trauma, that trauma was when she was seven. And I ask everybody what happened to them when they were seven, Mm -hmm. because in the way our first year of life is about our first chakra and our second year of life is about our second chakra, that I find that those years where we go from seventh chakra back to first to be the ones where trauma doesn't transition smoothly where we get stuck in it. So between our head and our feet. Mm -hmm. This is so interesting. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Cause when I, I have always been very, very grounded and very much stable in that way. But when I think of how I was raised, I had the most stable childhood of anybody I have ever known, like born and raised the same home. We had a community. We knew all the people like, the most trauma-free like growing up experience (laughs) and somehow I still got super fucked up (laughs) (laughs) well it can have right it's a you know I mean trauma is I I think our challenge is really to see our traumas as initiations and not victimizations right exactly yes yeah mine had to do with you know the men and and you know, making like wanting attention and not getting it. And, you know, but that didn't happen until later on when, you know, I was 12 ish. Right. But before then, yeah, my, my life was super stable. So maybe that's why it's always been easy for me to ground, but people who have experienced a lot of instability uh, and trauma early on, it's, it's more. Those first seven years are critical. I think if you can get those first seven years and certainly in, child development, those first three years are what are super critical mm-hmm. Yeah, because you have pathways that are, uh, that basically close off after age three, where you get more hardwired in those first three years. Okay. Wait, pause. I just have to give you a shout out because I went to launch with Melanie right after the pandemic, maybe in May sometime around May, yeah. probably. <laughs> I had my kids and they had been home from school for two months at least. And I was losing my mind. And you told me, you're like, well, you know, whatever, you know, your kids are going to be fine. It's only what happened until they were three. That's really going to make any difference. <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you that statement saved me. I never actually told you that, but when you told me that, I was like, Oh, God, I'm not going to completely screw up my kids because of <laughs> what's going on right now. Like, yeah, it's probably going to have stall impacts, but yeah. Yeah. I think if we wanted to really change the world, I was very fortunate when my kids were little to have, to be part of this community that did mom, baby education for zero to three. Mm-hmm. And yes, I'm sure that if you that what you do in those first three years, I think is what matters, what matters most, or it sets, it just sets an incredible foundation. Yeah. And there's a whole neuroscience behind that too. Yeah. I totally understand (laughs) that. And 
I was like, well, I think I did a pretty darn good job for yeah. me. I'm not quite sure about after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we all, I mean, trauma is just trauma. Like we're not really looking for, I don't think, I, I don't think desiring a trauma-free life is really what we desire either. Trauma is the part of the guardrails that keep you on your life path. And I talk about trauma a lot through the lens of the myth of Isis and Osiris. And in that story, Osiris was the king of Egypt and his brother Set was angry and jealous and wanted to be king. And so Set tricked Osiris into laying down in a bejeweled coffin, had his soldiers shut the lid, nail it, and take Osiris to the Nile River to send him downstream to his death. Osiris's wife Isis found out about this and she retrieved his body, took him to a cave and breathed new life back into him. When Set found out that Isis had brought him back to life, he was furious. And so he tracked down Osiris and chopped his body into pieces and scattered the pieces down the Nile River. Isis, when she found out about this, went and found all of the pieces. She was able to retrieve everything except for his phallus back at the cave. She put him back together. She made a new phallus for him and brought him back to life long enough for them to conceive their divine child, Horus. And then Osiris went on to be king of the underworld, which for the Egyptians was where all life came from and all treasures were found. And we use dismemberment metaphors in our language all the time. We say we're falling apart. We can't get it together. Our hearts are broken. Our lives are shattered. And when I imagine being in that story of Isis and Osiris, I'm sure everybody thought that Osiris's destiny was to be the king of Egypt, except for the jealous, angry brother. But his true destiny was to be the king of the underworld. And he literally had to come apart to come back together in a new way. And that's a very universal experience. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that's really the initiation that trauma offers us because you can't be the same person that you were beforehand. Right. Oh, that was one of the most beautiful stories I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. And my group program, what is it? Week three? Yeah, week three of my group program, we talk a lot about trauma and I always present it as an initiation that we don't, it doesn't have to be an initiation. Not everybody needs to go through trauma to, to have that, but it is something that we are, that can be a portal into a new way of being, a new way of self-discovery of, you know, experiencing and getting to know the truth and the depth of who you are, because it does take going to the underworld to reclaim so many lost parts and pieces of ourselves that we left behind during the trauma and reclaiming those to experience our wholeness. So love that. Absolutely. Well, and in astrology, Pluto, the God of the underworld rules the reproductive system. Mm. And our, a woman's reproductive system you can imagine looks very much like a scorpion. So Scorpio, Scorpio, Pluto rules Scorpio. And so uh, Scorpio is part of that reproductive system. And you can imagine that the vagina is the tail, the uterus is the body and the ovaries are the claws Mm -hmm. of the scorpion that we literally have uh, that scorpion energy that lives in our pelvis. Scorpio is the only sign that has three archetypes to it. It also has a snake so, which is comparable to the male phallus. And 
uh, the Phoenix, which is where, you know, rising from the ashes. And we create, we all create from our pelvises, whether we're making babies love or business or art, it's all second chakra energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that Phoenix that rises from the ashes. That's something that comes from nothing. And you have to have that internal flow to bring it all the way up to your throat chakra into creative expression for it to really come into full form. Mm-hmm. And so where the vagus nerve gets compressed in between those spaces and your vagus nerve spans your second through fifth chakra. So this is really, to me, this create bringing creativity into creative expression is fully a vagus nerve thing to me. And Vedic tradition, your brainstem where your vagus nerve originates is part of your fifth chakra. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, I've looked at pictures of vagus nerve maps and the second through fifth, definitely I see it because I teach a business mastermind and I see it with women in my mastermind that unless they've done sexuality work (laughs) or really worked on their sexuality, it's so difficult and challenging for people to be in alignment and fully self-expressed in their vision and their mission in the world, their vision for their life and their mission in this world and in this life. Because there's always something out of alignment in the expression itself. So whether it shows up as, well, they're just not showing up for themselves, that's the number one problem, right? A lot of times they're just not showing up for themselves or they're showing up consistently, but it's not uh, fully aligned with their truth. So I'm curious a little, if you want to share a little bit more about how creativity lives in the pelvis and how that Sure. Well, so if we take the story of Pluto and Persephone, you know, the story most of us, if you know that story, the aspects that we focus on are that Persephone was kidnapped into the underworld, that Pluto got permission from Persephone's dad, Zeus, to kidnap her against her will into the underworld. And her mother, Persephone, was distraught over that. However, in none of the renditions are there any any indications that Persephone was unhappy in the underworld. She and Pluto had equal co-rulership and she's a seasonal myth. So she comes up to the, out of the underworld for spring and summer and goes back under for fall and winter. And the story says that she really just came up for her mother. But I think, you know, the the pelvis being such a, that equal co-rulership piece is what we're really missing there. And the Greco-Roman stories are very skewed traumatic. Like they're very, you know, they tend to live a little bit more in black and white and good and evil. When you talk to some of the older mythologies, Egyptian stories and Iris world stories, they're more well-rounded and balanced. They're not so traumatic. And so, or it's helpful to dig into some of the, like we need those older stories to help recontextualize and to see the underworld as something of hellfire and damnation or to be shamed, which is where so many of us got crammed. But it's where all your treasures are found and where all life comes from. And it's this beautiful piece of ourselves. And the only rule we ever follow is as above, so below. And so when you really can embody your underworld as beautiful, your outer world becomes beautiful too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. I think we get compression points also in the way, like I think our Vedic astrology and our 
Western astrology live in our bodies? Because in Vedic astrology, everything's about one sign different than it is in our Western uh, paradigm. And so my Vedic astrologer says Vedic astrology describes your internal workings, whereas Western astrology describes how you show up in the world. And certainly that, certainly reconciling our internal world with our external world is a journey that we all take in trying to find that alignment. And beyond that, I think when we think about alignment, one, we think too small. And I think we also think in the, in shapes that aren't really helpful. So for example, in all humans, the right side of the diaphragm has more muscle mass than the left. So theoretically, the right side will always win. It's just part of our inherent asymmetry. So I see a lot of people that are in right diaphragm dominance. But when I see people locked into this kind of right side bending, right rotation pattern, and I know that the earth below us and the solar system above us all rotate the opposite direction, they're out of alignment on this fractal scale. And for some people, doing just the basic exercise will help line that up. I've spent so much time with people that no one else has been able to help that I've just been able to tune in and to see how solar and stellar rotation live in the body to know that like you've got to pull yourself into that bigger alignment that we're all thinking too small about ourselves Mm -hmm. and our potential as well. And that healing isn't a linear. It's really circular. It's really orbital. Yeah. Okay. Tell us a little more about that. (laughs) What are these cycles of healing? Um, This this whole series is on life transitions and I'm curious, what is your take on the different transitions we experience as we heal our trauma? I think one of the most powerful lenses that I've looked through for this for myself and that I help my clients with is through the archetype of Chiron, who's the wounded healer. And Chiron is an asteroid that you can look up in your astrology chart And our wounding is also where our superpower is. They're one and the same thing. The asteroid Chiron takes 50 years to go around the astrology chart to come back to where it was when you were born. So I'm going to be 50 in March. So I'll tell you my story about how this has played out in my life. Great. When I was 12 and a half, I started running for exercise. And certainly that's an age most around where most of us hit puberty. When I was 25, I was in physical therapy school. And so when I was 12 and a half, my Chiron would have been about 90 degrees from where it was when I was born, somewhere in that window. And when I was 25, it would have been 180 degrees from where I was born. And so in astrology, these harder angles sometimes manifest as express themselves uh, significantly in our lives when when we have things at 90 degree and 180 degree aspects. So 12, I started running to be, and I had been an overweight child. So this running was really an exercise. You know, this was kind of reclaiming my health. Mm -hmm. And then when I was 25, I was in physical therapy school about halfway through finishing that up. And when I was 37 and a half, It was very clear to me that working in a traditional outpatient clinic and working for somebody else was not a sustainable thing for me. I was burning out. I realized like the shortcomings of the medical model were very clear 
to me. I knew how to look at somebody head to toe and get them better faster. And I realized I don't have to play on this chessboard. I can do something else. Mm -hmm. And so I started my own practice shortly after that. And now that I'm approaching 50, I'm writing my book and I have this incredible new or new and old, you know, bringing the new and this incredible paradigm of bringing the new and old together to be able to really help people understand what's making them tick and to transform that. And the research shows us that the difference between acute subacute pain and chronic pain is that chronic pain gets locked into our limbic systems, which is where our emotions are. And you can't logic yourself out of your limbic system, right? (laughs) You need, it doesn't work. (laughs) You need a story, you need a connection and the neuroscience of story is phenomenal. And so when we can connect, you know, as humans, we connect with story more than we connect with process and all of the leading pain science experts. I was so excited when I heard this because for years I've said, I'm really good at making people cry. And all of the leading pain science experts will tell you that they get really excited when somebody cries or gets angry because then they know they're going to get better. You have to move that emotion. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's that emotional discharge that gets a person clear enough to, and maybe I don't understand the full science behind it. But for example, when I'm on call with someone and we're determining whether or not, you know, they're a good fit for any of my programs or whatever, I wish I had stats for this and I don't, but (laughs) I would say that a hundred percent of the women who have some sort of emotional release on the call with me end up doing one of my programs. Absolutely. And it's because they're unwinding and releasing so that they can actually step into something else. And without that, it's like, it's, it's hard to get to it. And again, I don't really understand it on (laughs) a neuroscience level. Maybe if I read a little more about it, it would make more sense, but. No, well, I think you're, you're very good at, you're very good at getting people to connect with their stories and reflecting back to them what they're saying in terms that maybe they haven't thought of previously. And we all need to be witnessed to heal, to transform. Our medical privacy laws are killing us. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You don't heal in secret. Oh my gosh. No kidding. (laughs) Yeah. I think we all need to be much more open about what's going on versus more closed off and to really start to connect these dots that led us to our pain and our dysfunction and our traumas and our midlife crises and all of those. So they're visible and they're not secret. And we all know how to transcend them better because this idea that you have to be stuck in this Osiris wound is really such a limiting belief to me. Yeah, And I think as we're, uh, I just posted on my Instagram the other day, because we're recording this just a couple days after just post election week in the US. And like when I look at Stacey Abrams, and I think she's a great example of this whole Osiris, transcending this Osiris, Osiris wound and stepping into your true calling. She ran for governor of Georgia a couple of years ago and lost. And rather than being stuck in the trauma of losing, she rallied people 
to register to vote, created this entire movement and found this platform and this destiny that's so much bigger than governor of Georgia would have ever given her. And that's probably not where she, you know, that's not what she originally set out to do that the, you know, but she's created this amazing thing that's so much bigger than, I don't know, potentially she ever imagined. And now she, you know, will potentially get selected for a role in the Biden administration. And, you know, I just think that's such a great story of moving your wounding into your superpower. Mm. She used her bringing her ability to bring people together in a new way and, and really, and stepped fully onto that bigger platform. And I, we all have that Mm. potential. I know I was struggling a few weeks ago, writing myself a media, writing a media pitch to send out. And I had a friend and she said, well, Melanie, have you pitched national media? And I was like, no, I was clearly thinking too small about this and just writing it for local media. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I got a response from the national media when I pitched at that level, which was super exciting. Wow. So I think that we can all think bigger about what we can accomplish and also to not minimize the power of healing yourself because that ripples out in ways that, that we don't always even get to see the entirety of. And the story I usually tell around that is when my youngest son was about seven or eight, he was struggling to learn how to read and he had labeled himself a bad reader and then he didn't want to read. And then it was this whole big thing that we didn't want it to be. And I had a breakthrough for myself. And one day I was working with a coach and within hours he came up to me and said, mom, I think I'd like to write a book. And I said, great. <laughs> and so I set him up on the computer to write. And, and he really learned how to read mostly through writing. But, you know, I got my stuff out of the way and it gave him room to expand. Yeah. And the only, I believe that the source of all of our limitations, no matter whether they're physical or emotional or mental health or anything like that, is resisting our own expansion in the ever expanding universe. (laughs) Yeah. And my favorite saying is from a tribe in the Andes mountains in South America. And they say, your future is behind you, propelling you forward. Mm. And your past is in front of you, waiting for you to make peace with it and clear your way. And we all know that experience of tripping over our past. Yeah. And at some level, healing is that it's just orbital. It comes back and it com- comes back, but hopefully it comes back in a new way and in a way you recognize in a way you can transcend in a way you can go, Oh, look how, how far I've come rather than in the way that keeps tripping you up. And our vagus nerves often get compressed on the backside of our hearts. And to help with that, I will have people inhale into the backside of their hearts to expand that part of their rib cage And I love this idea that your future has your back and you're supported and that you can breathe into that. And as I have people do the physical exercise, I will tell them that quote from the South American tribe and have them imagine breathing into their future and bringing it to themselves through the backside of our hearts. And in our lives, we can plan the who, what, when, where, and why. And I'll tell you, each one of those goes with a vagus nerve compression point (laughs) in my system. But you have to kind of let the universe bring you the how. Yep. And I think that magnet lives on the backside of the heart. Mm -hmm. 
I treat a lot of mental health issues. And when we're anxious and depressed and even in suicide ideation, too much of life is out in front of us and we're not feeling supported. Mm-hmm. And when you can really open up the physical space to breathe into the backside of your rib cage and to experience that support, it, it's often transformative in a very uh, short amount of time to those mental health issues. Yeah. You know, in terms of flow in the body, by the time your brain, for all the really great brain research, by the time your brain has responded to something, it's already come through your electromagnetic field, your or you know, it's come through your energy already. And if you're compressed at those horizontal structures, or you're not rotating in some amount of alignment with the universe, that it's like trying to put a fire hose's worth of information through a coffee straw, and it's going to get distorted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So true. <laughs> yeah, I remember a period. Well, I mean, when I first started my business, life was really hard. Uh, or at least it felt that way. And there was definitely that sense of, um, you know, doing lots of somatic therapy for years of having to consciously connect with the earth and the cosmos, like simultaneously and being able to surrender into that because I had to realize that like my work, my business wasn't what supported me ever. (laughs) You're what you do for a living is not what supports you. And I had to learn to separate that from what actual support was and recognizing that it's not about what I'm doing in the world or how many clients I get or how much money I'm making. Um, Absolutely. I, I tell people that even amoeba, even amoebas have boundaries, <laughs> you know, and those, you know, that separation is so important. And I think it's important, even going back to our grounding discussion earlier, that when you ground, you really need to be grounded in your feet. And it's very pleasant to ground with the earth. But when you have an energetic interaction with someone or something, you want it to be a clean interaction. You want to leave with all of you and you want the other person or the earth to leave with all of it. And when we have these experiences of blending and we don't separate that back out, it becomes messy, even if it's part of our grounding experience Mm -hmm. with the earth. Like you want to, you even want good boundaries with the earth. And I think thinking about being grounded in your feet, I find with my clients, it's much more helpful. And they can use the earth to support that. They can use the the imagery of the water and things like that to support that. But at the end of the day, you want that to be a really clean interaction. You like, you need boundaries in, in all areas. And when those, when your, your boundaries, and I'll say even your filter are really affected by how your rootedness and your transformation, that when those get out of balance with each other, when you're so stuck where you are that you don't want to change, you know, or you're like that puppy that doesn't want to go for a walk, digging its heels in, or you're so open to transformation that you're just like a leaf blowing in the wind and you're not grounded at all Mm -hmm. and you can't find any direction. But when you have those boundaries and your filters in place, then that makes a huge difference for that. Yeah, totally. (laughs) I know that one firsthand. Awesome. Very good. Well, is there anything else that you'd love to share with us on this show? Oh, I think that that 
I think we covered a lot of material <laughs> there. I'll say if anyone wants more information, I if you go to my website, melanieweller.com and enter your email address at the bottom of my homepage, it will send you a free vagus nerve decompression course and a bunch of other resources as well. So uh, please go check that out. My contact information is all over my website. I do training programs, particularly for healthcare professionals, coaches, and other healers in my process and have other offerings here and there as well. So check out the website for any updates. And I love to hear from people. So please reach out. Yeah. Oh, awesome. And her Instagram is super it's inspiring and beautiful as well. Yeah. So my Instagram handle is at embody your star. Yeah. I love and it. that's what I am on Twitter and also uh, on Facebook. It's all under my name, but the handle is embody your star. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your amazing wisdom and everything you've brought to the table here today. I know it's a, such a enlightening chance to talk to you every time I do. I'm just like, <laughs> wow, there's so much to unpack here. It's great. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Tilly. Thank you so much for sharing your platform. I love to, uh, like, it's such a treat for me to get the word out and to very healing for me to use, to use my voice as well. So I'm very grateful for this opportunity. Awesome. Well, thank you so much.